Welcome to Wallace Books and the Jello Wars podcast. I'm your host, Bob Wallace. Whoever thought that children with cancer would be the ones to lift us from our existential funk? Their wisdom, simple and personal, yet profound and universal, helps us circumnavigate these perplexing times. And fortunately, you don't have to walk in their hospital slippers to benefit. Wallace Books presents Jello Wars and Other Battles with Childhood Cancer. It's a book, it's a podcast, and it's life changing. Because the kids have much to teach, and we, the healthy, have much to learn. Thanks for showing up. This episode is brought to you by Red Dirt Collective, making lives livelier since 1943. Sure, Sedona's known for Red Rock this and Red Rock that. What's not to like? But Red Dirt Collective offers the full experience. Not some dehydrated desert sideshow of a three-ring roadside Ringling Brothers knockoff no-stravaganza. Big cats, no snakes, and no clowns with huge shoes but tiny cars. I mean, what's up with that? At Red Dirt Collective, we're 5x5, five five, bent and eloquent, thrashing through the passion with resonance, vigilance, and nearly lifelike vitology. We embody the dirty footprints left on the carpet after a quality day in the Red Rocks. Hit us up. We're your one-stop HQ for IDK. N-G-L-I-Y-K-Y-K. That's a Texas 10-4. Stay positive. Red Dirt Collective, making lives livelier since 1943-ish. Hey, did I mention Newsweek magazine recently named Arizona Camp Sunrise and Sidekicks as one of America's best summer camps, 2023? Salud! How'd I forget to mention that? You know, I grew up in a small community. Shout out to Britain, South Dakota. I currently live in Sedona, which is a small community, if you don't count the three million tourists that show up for dinner. Arizona Camp Sunrise is also a small community. A small, supportive, weird, and bizarro community. Wait a second. Sounds like I'm talking about Sedona again. Anyway, I'm glad you have the opportunity to meet the kids of Camp Sunrise. They'll change your life just like they did mine. Today we'll meet another guy who's passionate about childhood cancer camps and he demonstrates it in some pretty extreme ways. We'll also step back to my unfortunate introduction to the whole topic of childhood cancer. Yeah, it's a wild ride, so let's get to it. Back to Jello Wars. Chapter 6. Kevin's IV Pole People involved with summer camps are generally enthusiastic. People involved with childhood oncology summer camps add to that an immense dedication and deference for the children they serve. And then there's Kevin. Kevin takes it to a whole new level. Kevin has all those qualities, plus he's disciplined and goal-oriented, and, by my initial calculation, 
quite possibly insane. I first met Kevin Fern in Baltimore at a Coca Eye conference. That's Childhood Oncology Camping Association International. Kevin told me about having had cancer in his youth and about volunteering at both Camp Can Do and Camp Akaizu, common topics for an oncology camp conference. But then Kevin decided he'd take it a step further. In fact, Kevin decided he'd take it 15 million steps farther. 15,595,200 steps to be exact. Kevin told me he intended to walk across the entire United States while pushing an IV pole. He would return the pole to Boston Children's Hospital, the place he'd first been introduced to cancer, and then he'd throw the pole in the Atlantic Ocean and go home. His scheme divulged. I remember thinking, that sounds ludicrous, and I took to him right away. I had no idea if he possessed any follow-through, but he sure did dream big, and I liked that. We stayed in touch, and I next met up with Kevin in May. He'd begun his walk across America and had already covered two states. Kevin was 25 days and nearly 400 miles into his adventure. He and his IV pole had emerged from the Pacific Ocean at Manhattan Beach, California on March 25th. He'd already traveled the Mojave Desert, escaped California, and ventured well into Arizona, pushing his pole every inch of the way. Kevin intended to visit summer camps and children's hospitals along the way, spreading word of the importance of childhood oncology camps, something he knows firsthand. His route would take him to Boston Children's Hospital, where he'd been treated in his youth, then on to his final destination, the Atlantic Ocean. Kevin had three different sets of wheels for his IV pole. Pneumatic tires that got him through the sand of the Mojave Desert and southern Arizona. Orange wheels designed for skateboards and featured on the show Shark Tank. And some fancy indoor wheels. He carried six to seven liters of water with him each day. He hung a camelback bladder from his pole and carried the rest in his backpack. The pack weighed 30 pounds, including water, sunscreen, a med kit, and the day's sandwiches. Kevin started walking at 5 a.m. each day and continued for nine hours. He kept moving, didn't even stop for lunch, and he covered about 22 miles a day. Side note. All right, I know what you're thinking, and I'm a little ashamed of you for thinking such things. But, yes, nature does call. Let's just say, if you see Kevin's pole standing solo at the side of the road near a bush, you can assume nature is on the line. Rest assured, though, he'll be right back to resume his trek. Kevin's plan was to get out of Arizona before the brutal heat set in and to arrive in Massachusetts before the onset of freezing weather and snow. Even having come this far, Kevin admitted there was a whole lot of unknown ahead of him. He'd researched and planned and devised the best route possible, but there were so many obstacles out of his control. There's no manual for doing this, he said. I admire his positive attitude and willingness to just take on the day's challenges as they present themselves. It's just like going through cancer treatment, he told me. Sometimes you want to quit, but you just keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. It's all you can do. 
In children's hospitals, kids often name their IV pole, and many decorate them for holidays. For Halloween, you'll find IV poles covered with spiders and cobwebs. For Christmas, kids add sparkly ornaments and a star. And for May Day, yeah, I don't really know what happens for May Day, but you get the idea. Kevin's pole was decorated with rubber wristbands. He'd already compiled quite a number of the bands, each one with the name of a child battling cancer. We walked along Tempe Town Lake, and it soon became apparent that Kevin is a fast walker. Although casually chatting the entire time, his lead in front of the pack increased. More than once, he paused for the group to catch up. The only person whose natural gait kept up with Kevin was one of our campers. Owen. As we walked, Owen shared his story with Kevin. He was six when his parents first took him to the ER. He said he didn't notice any pain, but was limping and had a huge red welt on his left knee, which he'd ignored. Within a day, Owen was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, a solid tumor bone cancer in his left leg. That led to chemotherapy and radiation in preparation for surgery. It was a process I had no control over, Owen said. I just remember sitting in the hospital bed, and I didn't really know what was going on most of the time. But I just powered through it. Like so many kids, Owen's introduction to cancer had been his own. He knew no one else at school or in life that had cancer. He told us, I was alone with my cancer everywhere I went. Soon, Owen was in the operating room, and they removed the tumors. Along with the tumors, the doctor removed more bone than had been originally anticipated, which led to new issues and subsequent surgeries. I was lucky, though, Owen says. Maybe because they took out so much bone, it didn't give the cancer a chance to come back. He was cancer-free, but unknown to him or his family. He was just beginning his ordeal. Owen was a growing boy, which complicated the process. His right leg was longer than his left, and the variance was increasing by the day. In his seventh year of life, he endured follow-up surgeries. His mom says Owen hated bed rest and would quickly return to running full throttle, just to receive news of needing another surgical procedure. Adhering to post-op restrictions was so difficult for him, she lamented. He was impossible to keep down. Owen's eighth birthday brought with it more surgeries and his eligibility to go to Arizona Camp Sunrise. The camp medical staff had reviewed his records and had developed a plan to accommodate his mobility issues. Owen got off the bus with his walker, but to our surprise, he seemed to misplace it almost immediately. He had a pronounced limp, but he still outran all the counselors and most of the other kids. His energy and vivacity were enviable, but late in the day, he paid for it. The pain to his leg, knee, and back displayed on his face, yet he never complained. We would take him to the med shed, and, at times, we could even convince him to chill for the evening, but the next morning he was right back, outrunning the entire camp. I just powered through it, he explained. Owen said camp was one of the more normal parts of his childhood. He said it made him realize he wasn't alone. After that first year, 
he was hooked and returned year after year. He told us, Camp is for just having fun. When you're stuck in a hospital bed for days or weeks or months, it's hard not to focus on your illness, but you don't want that to become your life. He paused, then added, It helps normalize your issues for sure. At camp, I didn't feel like I was out of place. Owen is now in his 20s, but he grew up at camp, and up, and up. Every time we saw him, he was ridiculously taller, topping off at six foot three. He had to have the metal implants from his left ankle to his left hip replaced with longer implants multiple times. One of his last major surgeries was a reduction surgery done to his right leg. That's right, his good leg. His right leg was four inches longer than his left, so they removed a length of healthy bone to help even out the difference. Today, Owen is six foot tall, trim, and handsome, but he does like to remind us that he used to be six foot three. I've currently had 99 surgeries, he told me, but I'm trying to stay away from more right now. This seemed like a good plan, but we both knew the implants still would need to be replaced about every 10 years. Yeah, there'll be more, he admitted, but I'll just power through. After our walk along the lake, I checked with Owen's dad. Has he seriously had 99 surgeries, I asked. His dad laughed and shook his head. No, he said. Owen doesn't remember plenty of them. The number is actually much higher. Owen signed a rubber wristband, which he added to the collection hanging from Kevin's IV pole. I couldn't help but think that Kevin's opportunity to meet Owen might provide some inspiration for him on his journey across the U.S. We all shook hands, hugged, and wished Kevin well as we parted ways. I headed back to my car in the parking lot. Owen joined his family in their vehicle, and Kevin left on foot, another 3,000 miles in front of him. Safe travels, my friend. Think of Owen, and just power through. Chapter 7. Pay It Forward the other day I was in line at our local Starbucks drive-thru and ordered my usual, a venti chai latte with eight pumps, light ice, and enough cinnamon to choke a cow. I crept forward and soon received my beverage, but as I went to pay for the drink, I was told that the person in the car preceding me had already done so. I didn't know the person in front of me and was pretty certain that they didn't know me. I thought possibly they'd looked in their rearview mirror and deduced that I really needed a free drink, or had overheard my order and wanted to reward me for requesting what is clearly the ultimate chai latte. But no, that was not the case. Of course, this was one of those pay-it-forward moments. When the barista asked if I wished to pay for the car behind me, I said, absolutely, and glanced back to make certain there wasn't a school bus full of poorly caffeinated kids behind me. There wasn't. As I left with my venti chai latte with eight pumps, light ice, and enough cinnamon to choke a cow, my mood buoyed. Endorphins jitterbugged towards my brain. I laughed out loud, and I knew it was going to be a stellar day. A random stranger had extended a bit of kindness to me, and I did the same for another random stranger. Now how cool is that? I thought about going through the line again, but didn't. Not because I wasn't interested to see if the kindness was still going. I just can't handle the caffeine.
Pay it forward is an expression for describing the beneficiary of a good deed, repaying it to others instead of to the original benefactor. The concept of pay it forward can be traced all the way back to a play in ancient Athens, first performed in 317 B.C. Benjamin Franklin, Ralph Waldo Emerson, and Woody Hayes employed the idea in their writings, teachings, and coaching. Pay It Forward was a best-selling novel by Catherine Ryan Hyde and was later adapted into a romantic drama starring Kevin Spacey, Helen Hunt, and Haley Joe Osment. You know, the kid from The Sixth Sense who saw dead people? Yeah, him. The Pay It Forward movement and foundation helped start a ripple effect around the world. In fact, April 28th has been designated International Pay It Forward Day and has become adopted in 80 different countries. It's a day billed as changing the world, one good deed at a time. The concept is said to have inspired over 5 million acts of kindness. And there I was at Starbucks, number 5 million and 1. So I'm not sure if this qualifies as an epiphany, but right there in the Starbucks parking lot, it dawned on me. All these years, I've been paying it forward for Haley. Haley? Yeah, Haley. Haley was my friend in high school. She was pretty and smart and wonderful. Unfortunately, she was also my introduction to childhood cancer. We were freshmen, naive and idealistic, with big plans and ambitions to transform the world. One day, Haley was at a friend's house practicing cheerleading routines when she took a tumble and hit her leg on a coffee table. That led to a doctor visit, and another doctor visit, and a hospital stay, and a diagnosis of cancer. And then they cut her leg off. It all happened in the same length of time it took me to tell you this. At least that's how I remember it. I was stunned. I didn't know you could get cancer from banging your legs on an end table. You can't. And isn't cancer just an old person disease? It's not. And why Haley? It all made zero sense. It seemed ridiculous, stupid, and totally unfair. And it still does to this day. Haley was easy to like and easy to talk to. She spread seeds of kindness to everyone she knew. I wished I could have said or done the right thing to help her through her adversity, but I couldn't and didn't. I suppose it was fear that held me back. What did I have to be afraid of? Letting myself care too deeply for someone so fragile? Setting myself up to be devastated? I don't know. But I'd never lost a friend and had no desire to start the process. Fear also held me back from telling her, or even admitting to myself, how impactful she was in my life. I didn't have the vocabulary. I feared saying the wrong thing, and didn't. Don't get me wrong, we had plenty of laughs and good times. They just weren't to last. Doctors said Haley would not graduate high school but she fought through another year and walked across the stage with the rest of us. We were high school graduates, dauntless, diplomas in hand. 
Summer had finally arrived, and life was ripe with possibility. There I was, eighteen, wild and stupid. And there was Haley, eighteen, and planning her own funeral. Even then, fear shackled my vocal cords, preventing me from expressing the depth of my adulation. Again, I flinched. And then it was too late. I guess the ripeness of possibility varies from person to person. In fearing Haley's death, I missed validating her life. I failed at expressing to her how her seeds of kindness, grace, and friendship truly affected me. Nearly 40 years later, I still carry that weight. Acting as pole-bearer at Haley's funeral was a devastating task and a privilege beyond comparison. I'm not even Catholic, but I sat with Gene, Dude, Larry, Gary, and Terry, the other pole-bearers, staring forward, knowing if I looked at my friends, I would completely fall apart. I don't recall much about the service, other than it being excruciatingly long, but we made it through, and, when cued, we rose, encircled the casket, lifted, and carried Haley's body to the hearse outside. I didn't stumble or fall. For that much, I'm thankful. All I remember is tears, snot, and anguish. The next day, I returned to my 18-year-old life, full of potential and adventure. But I wasn't the same. I'd lost a piece of myself I could never regain. Haley taught me that life is fragile and short and far from a given. Haley left a fissure in my heart. That was many years ago. I've racked up my share of follow-up failures, but hers is one that stuck. I still regret not finding the words to express her significance, but I've also nurtured that little breach in my heart. I've nurtured the breach and cultivated the seeds she spread so freely and I've become a better person for the effort. Every day I try to embrace Haley's spirit and give a little back, at camp, at Starbucks, in life, to pay it forward for Haley. Thanks for tuning in to Wallace Books and the Jello Wars podcast. The kids of Arizona Camp Sunrise have been my greatest mentors, and they're here to assist you, too. You can find additional episodes of the podcast and more about the book, Jello Wars, and other battles with childhood cancer at wallacebooks.com. That's W-A-L-L-A-S-S books.com. Just go to the website or search Wallace Books wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe and like. You can learn more about Arizona Camp Sunrise at azcampsunrise.org. Podcast theme music by M-Dub Music. Sound effects from Sonic Boom. Keep listening to Wallace Books' Jello Wars podcast and let the kids change your life for the better. See you down the road.